You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, good morning and welcome to City Church. My name is Hunter Levine. I'm the college director here, and I have the privilege of working with City Church's college ministry, City Church U. If you're a new student here, Uh, or you haven't met our college staff, we'd love to meet you. We have a tent located right outside on the patio. But I got connected about 12 years ago as a high school student here in Tallahassee. My wife and I both went to Florida State. I went to TCC, then Florida State. And I have the privilege of calling this church my home. This is my family. And our prayer for those of you who are here and your college students and you're considering what it would look like for you to be a part of a local church here in Tallahassee, My prayer is that you would receive the same blessing that I have from this wonderful group of people. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. And here's what I want to show you. I want to show you how faithful leadership and what faithful leadership and labor for the gospel looks like. Now, this past year as a church, we've been working through the Bible in a year, and we're going to take this week and next week just to talk a little bit about what is the vision, the mission, the purpose of our church. And one of the verses that we often lift up here at City Church is a verse that is on a bracelet that we give our college students, Luke 10.2, where Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, so pray to the Lord for the harvest. One of the things that we tell our college students here at City Church is that our, our mission statement, our desire is to build great church members. Not just for City Church, but wherever the Lord leads them next. That as these students would get jobs in places like Atlanta and Chicago and New York and small towns across all across the United States and all across the world, that we would raise up men and women who love well, lead well, serve their communities, can teach the Bible well to others, can be great fathers and husbands and, and mothers and friends. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what do great laborers of the gospel, what do great leaders look like? And first, we should look to God's word to see what he has revealed to us in it. Before we look to leadership blog posts and secular books and TED Talks and podcasts, not that those things are wrong, but what does God's word teach us about what it looks like for us as a church to raise up leaders, the next generation of people who will hopefully steward the gospel well? First Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor, Timothy. And Timothy was in the city of Ephesus where we get the book Ephesians and he was dealing with some huge, huge issues. One of the reasons that I love uh, the the letter of 1 Timothy is because there are so many ways in which the, the place that Timothy was doing ministry, Ephesus, is a lot like a college campus. In the city of Ephesus, there was a lot of activity. It was very transient. People would come in and out. They would go all around the world. There was a lot of different worldviews that would be uh, exchanged in the city of Ephesus. And so people would come and they'd bring their religions and their thoughts and their education and people would exchange that. There was also, uh, to be honest with you, a lot of uh, immorality. There was a lot of sexuality conversation. There was a lot of partying. It was just an absolutely crazy place to be doing this ministry. When you think about the partying and all the, all the young people coming there, you know, I tell our students that the city of Ephesus was a lot like the city of Gainesville, except the people in Ephesus could read. They were, they were literate. 
But on a, a, a serious note here, I think the question that was sitting before Timothy in this place is the same question that's sitting before us today. And the question is simply this, am I going to be faithful? Look at what Paul writes in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our savior, and of Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the face, faith, Grace, mercy, peace from God, the Father of Christ Jesus, our Lord. We see Paul beginning with his identity in Christ, and we see him address Timothy as a son. Even as we look at the opening of this letter, we can see Paul just seeing Timothy. Here's the next generation of people who are going to take the gospel. Here's a young pastor in a strategic city. I love you, Timothy. I'm writing to you because I want you to lead well. Verse three, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. Pause right here. He's urging him to remain in Ephesus. You only have to urge people to do things that are challenging. You don't have to urge somebody to go on vacation. You don't have to urge somebody to to get a great meal with a good friend. You have to urge people to do things that are tough and challenging. And so even in this, you can sense that Timothy's writing to Paul or somehow it's getting to Paul and he's saying, I don't want to be with these people anymore. It's really challenging for him. He's saying, no, Timothy, I urge you to remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. ESV translates it, which promotes speculations rather than stewardship from God, that is by faith. See, the challenge that Timothy was experiencing in the city of Ephesus where all of these different ideas and worldviews were coming together is that these false teachers were coming in and they were influencing the group of early believers. Some were trying to mystify the gospel. It's a a view called Gnosticism. They were trying to kind of talk about secret knowledge and there's these secret things you need to understand and do and be a part of in order to truly be saved rather than just the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves you. Some people were trying to legalize the gospels. There was a group uh, called the Judaizers. They were trying to add all these laws and rules and be really legalistic with the gospel, but we don't have time to unpack all of that this morning, but what Paul is concerned about is that false teaching which promotes speculation and leads people away from the gospel would become prevalent in the group, in the church, in the people in the city of Ephesus. Today this might look like be a good person. That's all that really matters is just being a quote unquote good person. Or be your own person, discover who you truly are. There's, there's really nothing more important than just self-exploration, self-realization, all the self fill in the blanks or maybe live in the moment or make yourself known, do something big, be influential and on and on. There's these teachings that our world gives us that pull us, distract us away from the gospel. Truthfully, these have become banner statements for our world today, but Here's what I don't want you to miss. Paul is calling Timothy to rise up and to be a leader. And that call is not a call to be a complex, deep thinker with super high capacities, words that our our world loves to talk about with leadership. Complexity, capacity, man, he's a high capacity guy. He's an innovative guy. What Paul wants Timothy to be, it's a call that's grounded in faithfulness. As a church, when we think about raising up the next generation of leaders before we think about raising up innovators, 
high capacity. Not that those things are bad. We want to raise up a generation of leaders who are faithful. So Paul's saying, don't be like them, Timothy. Don't be like the people who promote empty speculations that will never bring real satisfaction or joy. They'll just be a temporary fix, but they'll never replace the gospel. Instead, steward the teaching that you've been entrusted with from the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the gospel message. Here's the first thing that I want us to see this morning is that faithful leadership requires stewardship. Before it requires innovation, before it requires any of those things, it requires stewardship of the gospel that we have been entrusted with. I like the word stewardship. It kind of reminds me of the stewardess on on the plane because let's think about what that person needs to do. You know, you're in this small tube flying 20,000, however many thousands of feet above the air, flying faster than you've ever been in your life. And if you start to think about it too much, you'll become terrified. Because there's not a lot of ways that this goes wrong and things work out well. And so the stewardess's job on the airplane is to help you forget all of that and just take good care of you. Do you need some peanuts? Do you need a, a ginger ale? I don't normally drink ginger ale, but just on airplanes. Their job is to take good care of you. That's what stewardship is, taking good care of something. That's what Paul wants. And well, what does this look like? Two quick things here. First and foremost, it means lifting up the gospel. Here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you and I are sinners who have been separated from God. We could never earn our way back. We couldn't be good enough people. We couldn't transgress our own sins. We can't impress him or prove to him that we're worthy. But Jesus in his faithfulness and his love has died on the cross in our place and allowed us to be restored back to the Father. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not that we're good people, but we have a great Savior. Lift it up, Timothy. You don't need to legalize it. You don't need to Gnosticize it. This is the gospel lifted up. But I want you to notice something else in this text. Not just lifted up, but there's a sense in which he's telling Timothy, protect it. Protect it. Have good theology, Timothy. Know the word. Know the truth. This is what's been handed to you. We want our students, the next generation of people here at City Church, to know the word of God, to love the word of God, to protect it, to have good doctrine, good theology, because not only will it lead to their joy, but it's the mission that we've been entrusted with. And truthfully, many people struggle to do one or the other. You got people, they got great theology, they've read tons of books, they know so much stuff, and they've never shared the gospel with someone who didn't know the Lord. They can protect it. Or you have people who will talk about their faith, talk about their faith, but truthfully, they've watered down who Jesus is and what the word says and the gospel message so much that they're really just talking about someone named Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. But Timothy is saying, Paul is telling Timothy, know the gospel, have good doctrine, and lift it up for the city of Ephesus to see because the people need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So faithful leadership requires stewardship. Paul goes a little further. Look at verse five with me. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Notice what the aim of that leadership is not. It's not an aim of status, financial success, power, popularity, some sort of cold, 
um, obligation. What, what Paul is saying here is that we need to lead from a place of love with pure hearts, a good conscience, sincere faith, not because we are pure, but because this gospel message that you're protecting has given us Christ's righteousness. Now we can pursue him. And the reason that we lead as the next generation of, of leaders in our cities and wherever God leads us to is because our aim is love. That's why we do it. The second thing I want you to see, faithful leadership's aim is love. I think about a young Timothy in the city of Ephesus and I think about how challenging and discouraging and truthfully frightened Timothy probably is. He's truthfully probably even likely frightened for his own faithfulness that he would go astray. I mean, how do we... How do we lead well? Like, how do we maintain this? How do we do this well? I mean, the aim of our leadership needs to be love. You, you know, I don't want to offend any optome- optometrist or whatever it's called when you're the eye doctor. But you know when you go to the eye doctor and they make you do the thing where, like, one minute you're staring at a hot air balloon? Because that's been the official image of the little test. And one minute you're staring at the hot air balloon, and the next minute they just shoot air into your eye. I mean, nobody's, I've worn contacts for, for 20 years, and no one's explained to me wh- why they need to shoot air, dry air, into my eye. It's like some form of, of torture, right? And it's like one of the, like, life is just filled with these odd tests like that, you know? But they're testing for something. I don't know what they're testing for. I'm sure someone will explain to me after service, and I'll still continue to use that as an illustration years to come. But they're testing for something. One of the things I think that's important for us to do as people who are looking to labor and work for the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we would test our hearts. What is my aim here? Why am I doing this? Why does all this matter? Well, Paul is saying, Timothy, don't forget. Remain in Ephesus. Don't leave. In Timothy, the aim of what you're doing is love. Not a, a bl- love that's like a blind affirmation that the world sets before us, but a love defined in the scriptures that's full of truth and grace. A love because Christ Jesus has loved us and pursued us, and we want to love and serve and pursue others. Paul then goes on in verse 6 to warn us of the danger of leadership. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, though they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided that one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, someone that thinks that they're good enough or they can do enough to earn their own standing with God, somebody who self-describes themselves as righteous. But for the law and for the rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinful, for the unholy and the irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. See, the law, what it does to those who know that they're sinners is actually a beautiful thing. It acts as a mirror that shows us our sin and points us to Jesus Christ, the only one who could truly keep the law. Now, in his grace, because he has made us alive in him through faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can pursue righteousness. But not because we were righteous, because Christ Jesus was righteous for us. So Timothy, don't worry about those people who think they don't need Jesus to be a Christian. 
think they don't need the grace of God. They think they got it all figured out. Timothy, stay focused on the people who know they need the gospel. Where did they go wrong? They lost sight of the truth of the gospel. It's like when I was a kid and I first began driving and that, that's a, a, a traumatic experience for every child and their parent when they're learning to drive, traumatic both ways. And I remember when I would first start driving, you know, anywhere I would look, like my hands would just follow. I would just kind of swerve, like I'd look, I'd be like, look, there's cows and I'd swerve off the road. You guys all know what I'm talking about because you've experienced this. This is what happens in life though. When you turn your eyes off of Jesus, our life will follow, our actions will follow, how we live, what we say will follow. And, and here's Paul saying, Timothy, keep your eyes on Jesus as you lead and serve others. The aim is love. Our eyes need to be focused on Christ. Continues in verse 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. This is Paul talking. I was the blasphemer. I was an arrogant man. I didn't deserve the grace of God. But look what he says in verse 13. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ overflowed. I mean, how much grace did God give me? How much has he loved me? It's overflowing. Along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus has came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them, says Paul. But I received mercy for this reason so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king, the eternal, the immortal, the invisible, the only God, be the honor and glory forever. Amen. Here's the deal. When we talk about raising up the next generation of leaders, when we talk about being a laborer for Christ, the truth is many of us are covered in shame. We're disheartened. We're discouraged. We feel like we're not good enough to be a part of this. We're not good enough to be laborers. We're not good enough to be leaders. We've made too many mistakes, and so what we're, we're gonna do is sit in the corner. Can I just tell you that that idea comes straight from Satan, not the scriptures. The idea that even though you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're relying on him for your righteousness, that somehow you shouldn't be involved in Jesus' work here today. That is not from the scriptures. He's given us grace. He's given us forgiveness Next thing I want us to see is that faithful leadership comes from Christ, not from ourselves. Paul says, I'm working with all these terrible people and I'm the worst of them. And maybe the reason that God has saved me and brought me to work with these people is so that they could look at my past and say, well, if, it's not, if, if he can be in, maybe I can be in too. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. Look again at the text. I give thanks to Christ because he strengthened me. Where's my strength as a leader? In Christ. Give thanks to Christ because he has considered me faithful. Not because of my resume, but because in Christ Jesus I'm considered faithful. Because he has appointed me to the ministry. Even though formerly I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was anti-ministry. I was anti-Christ, anti-the church. He has appointed me for ministry. And in Christ I've received mercy and grace. So much mercy and grace that the way I describe it is just overflowing on me. 
Leadership, strong leadership is not about living an untouchable, infallible life. Being a leader is never about not making mistakes or having the perfect past. Real faithfulship, faithful leadership comes from a deep, deep rootedness in Christ. A rootedness in Christ as we think about raising up leaders here in our church to go out and to be in the harvest, to, to be bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ all around the world. We want them to have a rootedness in Jesus. It's the most important thing. That's why we take preaching so seriously on Sunday mornings because we preach the word because we believe that that's where our strength is found. This is why we study the word in city groups and come together on a weekly basis in small groups of people to study the Bible and talk about life together because we want to have deep, deep roots in Christ Jesus, not just as individuals, but as a community. This is why we have gospel-centered Bible teaching in our kids' ministry right now. And children are learning about who Jesus is and what his word says and how it applies to their life. This is why we have equip classes that teach us to think critically and study the Bible and defend the faith and so on. And I could go on and on and on. I want to say this. This is why we do everything we do as a church. Because we want to be gospel-centered. We want to have deep roots in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this. I want you to uh, turn and look down at, at verse 18, verses 18 through 20. He says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight. Having faith and good conscience. So some have rejected these things and they've shipwrecked their faith. Among them, he names two of them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan so that they may not, uh, be taught to not blaspheme. In other words, Timothy, I, I got your back. I'm going to keep reminding you because I don't want you to follow down this path that these other leaders have, have followed down where they have shipwrecked their faith. Now, we could spend hours talking about what that word means, what that phrase means, and all the implications behind it. My father is a fishing captain. I grow up, I'm, I'm part of a family that's very involved in boating and, and fishing. And um, we could talk about all the different things that shipwreck means. Can we all agree it's bad? It's never a good thing. Nobody wants, nobody like is launching their boat at the boat ramp going, I sure hope I shipwrecked today. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Right? So at best, at best, it's just a, 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 a shame, a, a, a deep dissatisfaction and a, a forgetfulness of what we have in Jesus Christ where we have just taken our faith and we brought it to a place where we're like the prodigal son in Luke where, where we've just got so much distance from the father, we forget who we even are and we're not satisfied and we're, that's what it is at best. At worst, it might be referring to people who thought that they were saved. They thought they had a faith. And it wasn't until things got rocky. It wasn't until they were in a certain situation that they found out they never had a real faith at all. And Paul's saying, Timothy, I don't want this to be you. I want you to have a strong faith. I want you to shipwreck your faith. So, so here's what you need to do, Timothy. Look at this. He's, you need to fight. You need to fight the good fight for faithfulness. It's the last thing I want us to see together, that faithful leadership is a fight. Timothy, remain in Ephesus. I know it's hard. Timothy, fight. Fight to not become like these men who have shipwrecked their faith. 
Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible do we see that following Jesus and living a life in submission to him is easy. Nowhere. It never looks easy. So many college students show up to our church doors and they're not ready for the fight. Just going to be honest with you. They're not ready. Following Jesus, we have free grace in Christ Jesus, but following Jesus is not easy. It's a tough road. It's a hard fight. No matter where you're at in this room, if you're a student, maybe you're dealing with depression and you're struggling and you're wondering, am I worth anything? Is what the Bible says about me? Am I really made in the image of God? Does he really know me? Does he love me? Does he want me? I mean, just the student who's sitting there struggling with all of those thoughts of doubt and depression, I want to encourage you, fight the good fight. Read God's word. Believe it for yourself. Teacher wondering, is what I'm doing in the classroom really mattering? I mean, is this really the best place for me? I mean, what should I do? Continue to fight the good fight. Jesus is worth it. This thing that we're doing, that we're called to, to be laborers, to to follow him, it's worth it. Faithful leadership requires stewardship. We don't want to change the gospel. We don't want to water it down. We don't want to cover it up. We don't want to be Jesus's PR so the world likes the way he looks. Just steward it. Just take care of the gospel that we've been entrusted with. Faithful leadership's aim is love, that we see the love of Christ and that because of the love of Christ that we would love and serve others. That we would be known as a people who love each other, love the Lord, but also love our enemies, love the people that God has surrounded us with. Faithful leadership comes from Christ. We don't do this because we're incredible people with incredible past and resumes and backgrounds and we're innovative and we're smart and we can do complex things. We do this because Jesus Christ has called us to be laborers in his harvest. And faithful leadership is a fight. It's not going to be easy. It's not as easy as a 12-minute TED Talk. It's not as easy as reading one Patrick Lencioni book. It's an ongoing fight on the ground. Often when I'm teaching Luke 10.2 to our college students, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let us not miss that it's hard work that we're called to. In the grace of Jesus Christ, we get to be a part of it. These are the types of leaders we want to raise up here at City Church. From the moment that we first hear about a child being conceived, it's our prayer. From the day that they're sent out to wherever the Lord brings them next, it's our mission that we would raise up leaders who live and look like this. So I want to just challenge us on a couple things as we close out. If you're here and you're a college student, I want to challenge you to go all in to be a part of this church. Not because it fills up a room with people, because it will equip you for the work of ministry that God has called you to do. Make the decision now that this is gonna be a priority in your life. That this is gonna be a regular rhythm for you, even when midterms are here, even when finals are here, even when you get a good opportunity in the club you're a part of, even when you have to start working a part-time job, even when you're tired that this would be a real commitment in your life. We love you. We want to equip you. We want to raise you up so that you can be faithful to God's call in your life, but you need to be present to do so. I always joke, I love uh, parents' weekends when college students like look up on the internet like what I look like and then they walk in and like, hey, what's up, man? Good to see you. And I'm like, I've never seen you before. <laughs> I think it's implied, but you need to be here to be equipped.
It's hard for us to equip someone who's not here. Church members, I, I want to encourage you to continue to be generous with your time and with your treasure within this church community as we strive to raise up this type of leader for the world. This is what we're doing. You know, working in youth ministry and college ministry for 10 years is probably the number one question I get from church members. What do you do? This is what we do. Everything that we're trying to do in the next-gen ministries here at City Church revolves around this. Please continue to be generous with your time, your talents, your serving, and the money that the Lord has entrusted you with. And if you're here and you're a parent, and here's what I want to challenge you to, pray for your child. Pray for your child. Set a reminder on your phone every day at 10.02. And, and pray Luke 10.02 for your kid. God, may they be a laborer for you. You know, just because they're leaving home doesn't mean that your work as a parent is done. I pray that you would be the parent to continue to encourage your child to fight the good fight because I'm going to be honest with you. The harvest of the campus is a tough place to be. Pray for them. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I, I encourage you to trust in the gospel. I love the way that Paul puts it to Timothy. He says, here's what these teachers are doing. They sound great. People like it. It fits the world they live in. But you know what they're doing? They're promoting empty speculation. It's interesting that he uses the word empty and not incorrect, isn't it? Hey, Timothy, they're teaching incorrect things. Yes, they are teaching incorrect things. And you know what those incorrect things are doing in the hearts and the soul of the people who are believing them? Nothing. It's empty. It doesn't satisfy. And so you know what you have to do? You have to give them a new empty speculation to replace the old empty speculation, and they spend their life chasing nothing. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, may I say maybe the reason that you feel so empty is because you have not given your heart and your life to Christ. That is where our joy lies. That is why we can say the aim of what we do is love. If you're here today and you'd like to talk to somebody about that, we have a care team every single Sunday because our desire is that you would trade the empty speculations of the world for the truth of God's word in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to gather as a church and to have your word. Father, I pray that as we head into this season where college students are arriving here in Tallahassee, I pray that you would raise up laborers for your harvest. Father, we know that where we often see a dry valley, Father, you see a plentiful harvest of people who need to know you. So I pray that you would give us the courage, the stamina to do that. Father, we're grateful for every person who walked through these doors this morning to hear your word and to sing your truth. We pray that as we continue that together as a church, that you would continue to bless that. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.